Hey, I'm Julia, and you are listening to the second episode of Finding Janine. This story begins in Paris in October 2014 and marks the beginning of my friendship with Janine. With that said, here's episode two. In between moments of teaching English to French children and searching for jobs, I started to reconnect with my French family. I met with my cousin Fabienne in Pigalle one evening. I grew up seeing baby pictures of Fabienne. He had no idea of what adult Fabienne was like. I was surprised to discover his resemblance to Bradley Cooper. Over red wine and dinner, he tipped me off on Paris and warned me on how difficult Parisians could be. A few days later, I met my cousin Karim. I never grew up with baby pictures of Karim, yet something felt very familiar when we met. We had more in common than just our hairline and love for 90s hip-hop. Karim and I shared an intolerance for small talk and superficial conversations, therefore got to know each other very quickly. Our family's surname is Bouillon, which is like a derivative of the word boiling in French. Think bouillon cube. We joked about our family's fiery temperaments and how it extended to both sides of the Atlantic. It felt strange how familiar and easy it was to speak to Kareem. I told him briefly about my stolen banking card. He said it didn't sound good, which was no surprise to me. Yet what did surprise me was the sense of relief I had to tell someone. After our weekend together, Janine went to Manchester. Meanwhile, I was busy teaching English and looking for a new flat. As Paris feels more familiar, I am enjoying it less and less. It's lost its je ne sais quoi quality, and I am noticing how dodgy it is. It starts to feel like a jungle and like I am always out for myself. I hop off the metro one evening after tutoring. It was about 9 p.m., Not early, but not late. As I emerge above ground, I briefly make eyes with the man adjacent to the exit. I start my journey back to the hostel. As I am walking down a gravel path, I feel a male presence behind me. I couldn't see anyone, but I could hear the sounds of shoes on gravel. His pace sounded purposeful and slightly aggressive. After two blocks, I realize I am being followed and become keenly aware of my surroundings. The street seemed more remote than normal. I pretend to be ignorant to the prey man, hoping he might become bored. I reach into my pocket and my hand falls on the bark from the oak tree, which I nervously roll between my fingers. The man now seems agitated I haven't acknowledged him so he tries grabbing my attention in a different way. He starts speaking to me in French. I ignore him. He starts calling me in English. I ignore him. He now tries German. There are a few people around, but I do not feel a safety in numbers. Does anyone else notice this situation? 
He is only a couple paces behind now. I discreetly grip onto my bag with white knuckles as my other hand continues to roll the bark nervously between my fingers. His voice now sounds very agitated. I can't tell if I will burst into tears or throw my left elbow into his face. Maybe both. He wants to see the fear in the white of my eyes. Finally, I see the hostel and a couple men smoking outside the door. When a gentleman notices my rush, I can't tell where the vampire is, and the gentleman looks at me to see the distress on my face, then clocks the vampire. He approaches him and starts yelling aggressively and loudly in French. The only word I catch is police. I turn my head, and the vampire is running. My body rocks with rage. Why the fuck would you want to intimidate me? What has happened to you in life that has made you use humans as sport? I want to cry and yell at the same time. I say in my head, I don't like you, and I'm starting not to like Paris either. English teaching is becoming boring. Parisians are as grumpy as Fabienne warned me about. And my life in Paris isn't quite the art piece I envisioned for myself. I'm on my laptop and find myself trailing through my online banking statements. PayPal, hostel payment, H&M, Carrefour, a train ticket to Lyon. Things aren't adding up. Hang on. I didn't purchase a train ticket to Lyon. Wait, I didn't go to H&M either. I realize there were charges to my debit card, the last card I have, which I am not purchasing. They weren't massive charges, but it is extremely unsettling to say the least. I have an inkling. Whoever stole my previous card must have taken the information or perhaps a picture of this debit card when they went into my purse. That way, I could live thinking I had the card. Meanwhile, somebody else would have access to the information for online purchases or so on. I tell Janine while I figure out what I should do next. First, I notify the hostel of my situation. I asked if the hostel could flag the names of guests I shared a room with, and perhaps this could narrow it down. They explained, legally, they could not provide a list of names of the guests, which I could understand. Yet I was stunned by their apathy and lack of desire to help. I couldn't stay in Paris with stolen banking information. I could find myself penniless and stranded. Paris already felt dangerous enough. It wasn't a question of if I should stay in Paris, but rather, how long could I afford to stay in Paris? And ultimately, where do I go next? I had a couple options. Option one, return to Philadelphia. This option felt like a failure and walking away from a dream. I was admitting to myself and others I couldn't make my life for myself in Paris. It was accepting defeat. I had difficulty entertaining this option. 
Option two, go to the UK and stay with my Auntie Frankie. She offered I stay with her while I sort everything out. Eventually, I could even come back to Paris, but at least I wasn't going back to Philly. I made a plan. I would take out 500 euros to get me through my journey to the UK. Once I have the cash, I will call my bank and cancel the card. Tomorrow, on Friday, I will make a report to the Parisian police and tell the French families I am leaving Paris. Saturday morning, I will take the Eurostar from Paris to London. When I arrive, I will take the train from London to my Aunt Frankie's. Janine made an offer. Janine received discount codes for Eurostar tickets through her work. She offered to buy the discounted ticket on her work account. If she covered the Eurostar tickets, then I would cover the hotel. We agreed to sort out the difference when I was in the UK and had a secure bank account. Thanks, Janine. Lifesaver, I thought. We're squared. My plan commences. Take out the cash, cancel the card, report to the police, and arrive in the UK. I take out 500 euros and cancel the card. Until I arrive in London, I'm living on cash. I pay for the hotel and put the rest of the cash in a leather boot in my duffel for safekeepings. After being followed home the other night, I couldn't chance having so much cash on me in case I was mugged. It is Friday morning. I have one day left in Paris. I know to make this official, I should make a police report about my stolen cards. Janine offers to come with me. I was grateful for the moral support. We arrived at the busy police station, a couple miles away from the hotel. The police seemed to swiftly take notice to two traveling young females, and it wasn't long before we were sat down with English-speaking police officers. As far as the police knew, we didn't speak French. Oddly, Janine seemed comfortable in the scenery of a police station, almost like it was a familiar place. The officers were seemingly disinterested while I was relaying the report. I could hear the officers speak amongst each other in an authoritative tone, asking whether or not they should ask us for our evening plans. They humor themselves with their authoritative tones in contrast to the cheeky content of their conversation. They spoke to each other as if the French language was a tribal dialect nobody could understand. I wanted to roll my eyes. I avoided eye contact so I wouldn't shoot them a dirty look in my time of need. Finally, we finish at the police station. The police officers wrote the names of a neighborhood they were going to that evening on the back of the police report. I thought I would feel safe amongst authority, but it was quite the opposite. This is supposed to be the police force? What a joke. Janine decided she would stay with me in Paris until Saturday afternoon, when she would leave to meet her boyfriend in Antwerp. We come back to the hotel. The hotel room smells a bit stale, but it's only one night. Standing on the balcony of our hotel, I call my parents to let them know I'm okay, and I will call again when I'm on the train to London in the morning. I get off the phone and come back into the room. Janine was sat on the hotel bed. In a moment of silence, Janine remarks, how it sounds like my dad really loves me. 
Huh? Excuse me? I wasn't even sure how she could have heard my dad or what he was saying. I was on the balcony. I wasn't sure how to answer this. Janine being weird again, I thought. I swiftly move on from her comment about my dad. Janine suggests, at the very least, we should enjoy our last night in Paris together. Janine senses my hesitation and insists tonight was her treat. We go out for dinner in Montmartre. We go to a slinky show at a cabaret club in Picard. Overall, it was a fun night, when I could forget the looming fact my banking information had been stolen in a different country. Before we leave the club, we take a selfie of us. Last night in Paris or not, I didn't want to say out too late as my train was departing mid-morning. We returned to the hotel room around 1 a.m. We wet-wipe the makeup from our faces and get ready for bed as Friends in French plays on the hotel TV. In a quiet moment before falling asleep, something comes over Janine. Her eyes fill up and her teary eyes catch the light in the dimmed bedside lamp. I ask her, what's up? She talks about her dad and her sisters and some dark moments from her childhood. Suddenly her comment about my dad makes sense now. I put it down to the way a couple of drinks may have hit her. I say goodnight and we go to bed. The alarm goes off at 7.30 a.m. My train departs from Gardenor International Station at 11.30 a.m. I was arriving in London on my little cousin's eighth birthday. Before we leave for the station, I plan to buy a present for him. As I run out the door, I ask Janine if she would like a coffee. Oh, yes, please. A latte would be lovely. Do you mind if I check something on your laptop while you run out? Yeah, no problem. It's on the bed. I tell her my logon password. I leave the hotel. And on a sunny, early autumn Saturday morning, I head towards a tourist shop where I examine the wide variety of Paris snow globes. I pick up one. I shake it to make sure there is adequate amount of snow. Every city I go to, I buy a snow globe for my little cousin Ollie. As I watch the snow swirl around the Eiffel Tower, an unexpected sadness comes over me. I didn't want to leave Paris on these terms. I promised myself I would come back to Paris. I return to the hotel room with two coffees in hand. As I enter the room, Janine sits up quickly as she's on my laptop. Her eyes widen and comments about how quickly I ran my errands, almost as if she was expecting I would take a while. My bags are packed and waiting at the front door. We have 20 minutes until we should leave for the train station. I go to the balcony one last time. Janine joins and lights a menthol cigarette. 
We drink our coffees in silence on the balcony as I mark my final moments in Paris. Janine knows I am feeling deflated and kindly offers to come to Garden North Station to give me a hand with my luggage. We arrive at Garden North Station. Stood in the middle of the echoing train station, she hands me back my massive duffel bag. I thank her for her friendship and all of her help. I knew it wasn't the end of a friendship, but it was at the least the end of my chapter in Paris. Honestly, I couldn't have done this without you, I said to Janine. Janine told me not to thank her. We hugged goodbye. I couldn't help but notice how snaky she felt as we hugged. Her frail arms didn't help the sensation. Felt like she was looking forward to break it off as soon as we touched. She asked I promise to text her as soon as I get to London. I assured her we'll speak soon. We part ways and I take in a deep breath. Here, my journey to London commences. I go to the Eurostar e-booth and I put in the booking reference to print my ticket. The booking reference is coming up as invalid. I double check the reference Janine sent me. I type it into the machine a second time. The ticket comes up invalid again. Third time's the charm, right? It still doesn't work. My stomach drops, but I thought it could just be a mistake. These e-booths never work anyway, so I head to the front desk to speak to a clerk. Um, excuse me, do you have a ticket under this booking reference? No, we do not have anything under this booking reference. Do you have a ticket under the name Julia Hewitt? No, we don't have anything underneath this name. Maybe Janine mixed it up, I thought. Do you have a ticket under the name Janine Thornley? No, we don't have anything under this name. I asked the clerk if she could please look up my name for other trains throughout the day. Maybe Janine mixed up the times. Still nothing. My stomach drops. But my instinct is indicating me a truth I hadn't thought of yet. My brain scrubs through memories like I'm rewinding through a film. Thank you so much for listening to episode two of Finding Janine. If you are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and head to findingjanine.com to jump on the mailing list, to follow the journey, or just drop us a line. I want to thank Tommy Horner and Transmission Roundhouse in London for their support in the editing and production of this episode. 
And a thank you to Ben Socrates for the intro music from his album Fawcett Thoughts, which you can find on his Bandcamp. Links can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Episode 3, next. <laughs>